Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Uh, we're going to be in one of my favorite books. Come on, Lindsay. Ruth. We're going to be in Ruth this morning, Ruth chapter 4. So if you will go ahead and flip with me there as we end our Looking Forward series, as we're looking forward to uh, Jesus coming. Ruth chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. We're going to read 1 through 12. And I'm going to just implore you in your own time, go read this small book. You can read it in one sitting. Just allow the Lord to minister to your heart of how he redeems and truly restores. Ruth chapter 4, go ahead and stand on your feet with me if you're able. If you got it, go ahead and say got it. Starting in verse 1 here, now the reading of God's word. It says, now Boaz had gone up to the gate and he sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, and sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say... Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. And if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me that I may know, for there is one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said... I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of the redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. And the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are my witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I, I bought for myself to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Very word of God. Amen. Today I want to preach on the topic keep on believing keep on believing turn to your neighbor and say keep on believing keep on believing let's pray father thank you so much for this morning you are a good god we give you praise we give you honor 
we give you thanks. We don't deserve your goodness, but you give it to us. So God, with that, I, I do ask that you'd hide me behind your cross, decrease me so that you may increase in this place. Father, we've come, we need a word from you. So speak, Lord. We thank you, and it's in your name we pray all these things, and we all said together, amen, amen. You can be seated. Family, you ever had to hold on to a belief uh, that your situation would change, although there was nothing you could do to change your situation? That was a question. I mean, there's no amount of strength uh, that you could put out that would change the situation. There's no uh, amount of knowledge, your intellect can change the situation. No, no, no person uh, in, in your immediate circle could change the situation. You ever been in a place where you're wanting your situation to change, you're doing everything you can, but it feels like nothing is happening. And if you're sitting there and you're just staring at me and you're not saying yes, then I'd say you're not telling the truth. Because the reality is that we're all sitting in a situation right now in this pandemic that we cannot change. We want to change it. We want to see it happen. But there's nothing we can do in our own power. And so we simply have to believe that God can change it. Now, that doesn't mean that we're to do nothing. But belief means to work from a place or a work from a belief in someone or something outside of your own strength. It means to believe in something outside of you. That, that, that's how you get through to see something change. But, but, but if, if I stopped right there, that would be the issue for most of us. Because our belief hasn't been in the right object. We've been believing, but we've misplaced our belief and put it in the wrong object of our belief. We've been trusting in something that cannot change our situation. Whether that be our strength, it be another person, it be something, our finances, and we end up at the same spot where we're saying, why am I still in this situation? Why am I still here? Why is my joy gone? Why do I feel like all is lost right now, although I'm still living? It's because we have not been putting our belief in the right object. And so today what I want to do is, as we've been doing throughout this series, is I want to reorient or realign our, our vision to our true redeemer, Jesus. Today in our text today, we're going to see a young woman by the name of Ruth. I, I really love this, this scripture and this book. Here's Ruth who is in a space where she can't change her situation. Not by her own power. She can't do it. But as you read the text, she receives grace and she receives love from a man named Boaz. Boaz redeems Ruth. Redemption, by way of definition, hear me, is this. Look at it. It says the action of regaining or gaining possession of something 
in exchange for payment or clearing of a debt. This is significant in passage as we enter into this scripture and end our Advent series because Boaz, hear me, I don't want you to miss this, is a type of redeemer. He's a type of redeemer who ultimately points to the true redeemer, Jesus. This is why we're calling our series Looking Forward. We're looking forward to Jesus as we've been walking through the Old Testament scriptures and we've been looking at types of Christ. So we've been looking at passages that point to the coming of Jesus. This is one of those two where it talks about Boaz and, and, Nao- and Naomi and Ruth. And in this narrative, you get to see that Boaz is a type of redeemer that points to Jesus. See, I love this biblical account of Ruth because it shows us how a true redeemer loves and shows grace towards someone who has nothing to offer. And my hope for us is that I hope this message will challenge you to show grace to other people during this season. And I also hope it will encourage you in the fact that when you believe in Jesus, you indeed have a true redeemer. So today I have two points, and I'm going to sit down. Number one, a true redeemer goes out of his way. He always has a plan. Number two, redemption is always at the expense of the redeemer. I want to begin by a bit of context because I'm going to assume you haven't read this book before this morning, right, before we're walking in this scripture. Y'all didn't know I was going to preach it. So in chapter one, We find Ruth, she is a Moabite woman who is from a a tribe known the the Moabites, and she is uh, a known enemy. So Moabites were known enemies of the Israelites, and they served a different God. In the beginning of the book, she loses, hear me, don't miss this, her husband, she loses her father-in-law, she loses her brother-in-law, they all die, and she's left with her sister-in-law and her mother-in-law, Naomi. Naomi tells both of them to go back to their country or stay here as I go back to my country. I want you to have a future outside of me. Orpah listens to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and she stays, and she ends up having another family and, and goes and starts another life. And Naomi says, no, I mean, Ruth says, no, 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 I'm not leaving. I'm going to choose to stay with you, and I'm going to go back to Bethlehem, which would now make Ruth an immigrant when she goes back. They're in this place of emptiness with little to no hope. Ruth chooses to stay, and she basically says, Naomi, it ain't nothing you can do about it. I'm going to stay by your side. Can't make me leave. I'm staying with you. Now, this is significant because she says, I'm staying with you. Your God's going to be my God. I'm going to be with you. Your people are going to be my people. This is significant. Don't miss this. Because hear me, God says the same thing to his followers throughout the whole Bible. It's his central covenant promise that he holds with his people. He says continually throughout scripture, I will be your God and you will be my people. Scripture is like Genesis 17, where he says this to Abraham as he's sending him out, verse 7 through 8. He says, look at it with me. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojourners and all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. Here it is. And I will be their God. 
Or God does it again, and he says it to Moses when he's freeing the Israelites out of Egyptian captivity. Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, he says, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. There it is, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you up out from underneath the, the burdens of the Egyptians. These are just a couple of verses, but we cannot miss the importance here because the circumstances of Ruth and Naomi or even our own circumstances may seem bleak at times, but it's the hope in God's promise that keeps us going. It's the hope in his promise where he says that I will be your God and you will be my people that gets you through those tough situations. See, it's the hope in his central promise that gets you through those times when you're like, I don't have enough finances to make it through the end of the month. It's the hope and this promise that helps you through those bleak times where you say, my friends and my relationships are turning their back on me and I don't have anywhere else to turn. My life feels like it's on the rocks. It's the hope and this promise that keeps you going. It's the hope and this promise. Hear me, family. Let me come to your neighborhood because some of you are here and your marriages are feeling a little shaky right now. Your relationships feel a little shaky where everything's on the rock in your life and you're like, I don't know if I can do it. Hear me, fill in the blank. It's the hope in God's promise. It says, I will be your God and you will be my people, which means he ain't never leaving you. He's with you. That's what keeps you going. This is why this is significant, and I wonder who I'm preaching to this morning that needs to put their hope in the promise of the central covenant of God. It says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. Chapter 2, Ruth begins to glean from the fields. I, I love this, y'all. She, she kind of laces up her boots, and she's like, look, family's put on my back. And she goes out. She says, we got to eat. So she starts to glean from the fields, meaning that she's picking up the leftovers from the fields so they can eat. She goes out, and she comes into Boaz's field, and they end up meeting one another. And Boaz is like, who is that woman out in the field picking up the leftovers? You know what? Start leaving some leftovers out there for her so she can have it. And he, he leaves all of this out there. He provides for her when he does not have to. He chooses to do this. He goes out of his way when he does not have to. Follow me. But Boaz is one of the kinsmen redeemers in the land. And this understanding of a kinsman redeemer comes in because in, in, the, in the family, if someone were to die, if the husband were to die, somebody else in the line would come in and, and take the, 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 the woman and the right to the land to keep the inheritance going, to keep the name going. Now, this would range, starting in this order, from brother, uncle, cousin, to close clan relative on down the line, and they would redeem or take possession of everything that Naomi, for, for, in this instance, had to keep it going forth. This would include Ruth. Now, with this understanding, as you step into chapter 3, you get to see the scene. I love this scene because Naomi knows this. She knows the tradition, so what does she do? She says, all right, baby, Ruth, well, we got a few people in line, but, but Boaz is the one. He's been taking care of us, so I need to get you right, girl. I got to clean you up. Oh, this is, I love this. If you read it, you got to put your, 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 your imaginary scriptural lenses on while, as you read it because, because he, he, she, says, she says, look, I'm gonna clean. we, we got to put the nice dress on today. We got we to get your hair all done. Really nice, you know, straightening, curled at the end, all of that good stuff. We got to look, we got to make you look real girl, girl. We're going to put the, the high-end perfume on today. I don't know where I'm going to get it from, but we're going to make sure you smell good. We're going to make sure you're right when you go towards Boaz. Hear me, y'all. She's 
pushing Ruth towards her redeemer. She's pushing her towards the place she needs to be. She's, y'all missing it. She's pushing her toward the place where God wants her to be. How many of you know sometimes you need some help to get you to the place where God wants you to be? Sometimes you need some help from somebody to push you towards God. See, what I'm getting at is, family, hear me. It's important for us to have the right community around us. We need good community. We need people that will care for us. People that will love on us, that will push us towards Jesus. People that are less impressed with us and more impressed with Jesus, so they push us towards him. See, I could preach a whole sermon on this right now and just sit down in this for a moment. We don't have enough time, but we need to key in on this for a minute because this is important for us, especially during a pandemic. We've been shut in behind closed doors. Some of us haven't even entered in the group. Somebody in here, maybe this is your first Sunday back in church. And what's happening is that we, we gotta, we're relearning the importance of fellowship. We're relearning the fact that we're not meant to be alone. We're not meant to sit behind a computer screen and just take in all this knowledge and all these other people and, and what they think about this or that and say, well, what do I come up with? Because I'm getting a hundred different opinions. We're not, we're not meant to sit in those spaces, but yet we're supposed to be in community with other people and, and fellowship with one another. We're relearning the power of this. Hear me, what I'm really trying to get at is that we need good community. I got to keep moving. Ruth goes on and she, she lays after being pushed by Naomi in chapter three. She lays at the threshing floor. And as she lays down at the threshing floor, this is where they would separate the, the uh, wheat from the chaff. And afterwards, the men would all fall asleep. And uh, it wasn't a common place for women to be at because a lot of crazy things would happen. And she's there and she lays at the threshing floor while Boaz is asleep and she uncovers his feet. Now, when she uncovers his feet, this signifies her defense her dependence on him. She's like, I I need to be with you. I'm dependent on you. And Boaz, he knows this. He understands what she's saying, but he also knows that he's not first in line to redeem her. So he gives Ruth his word. If the other guy doesn't do it, I will redeem you. He sends her home with food in hand to confirm his word and let Naomi know of his intentions and I love what Naomi says at the end of chapter 3 as we head into our text. At the end of chapter 3, Ruth walks in. If you can think of it with me, picture the scene. She got all dolled up. She looks nice, ready for Boaz, and Boaz does not give her uh, the the answer that she's looking for. Anybody been turned down before? You've just been like, oh, my gosh, it didn't happen. And, And she walks in just moping, and Naomi, the same one who pushed her towards Jesus, said, what'd he say, baby? Well, he said if... If the other guy doesn't do it, I, I promise I will do it. And she's sad. And Naomi said, wait, 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 wait. It's okay, baby. Just remember his words. Remember what he said to you. And family, this is significant because it's in those times where we feel as if God hasn't given us the answer that we've been looking for. Or we're in that place where a friend or something hasn't happened the way we thought it would. We prayed for it, but God didn't come through that way or he did it a different way. It's in those times that we have to remember his words. Friends, those of us that believe in Jesus have to keep faith in the word of God. 
where he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Where he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. As my mentor would tell me in those times when I'm down and out and I feel it because we all go through this. He would say, Derek, that same God that saved you, the same God that saved people way back when, is still in the business of saving people today. Which means that he's still at work in your life. Keep on believing and remember his word. Tony, this all leads into our text today in verses 1 through 2. We get to see how Boaz truly goes out of his way to redeem Ruth. And not only does he go out of his way, but y'all, he's planned it very carefully, which brings us to this first point. A true redeemer goes out of his way and always has a plan. The first few verses here in the text in Ruth chapter 4, they're very, they're key because this gate where he goes to is, it's like a modern day courthouse. I got to set this up for you a bit. This is the place where legal transactions and decisions were made by the leaders and the elders of the land. It, it, and it just so happens, as it says in the text, behold, the redeemer walks by. Now, we could easily focus here on the providence of God and how he lines all of this up and the Redeemer just, just so happens to walk by, but we really got to keep with the text and we see here that Boaz is very intentional about going after what he wants. He sits down and he waits, y'all. He has a plan. Now, I'm going to venture in to say word to the single men here. I need y'all to hear me. Follow Boaz's example. Be intentional. Have a plan. Y'all quiet. When you're pursuing a woman, be intentional. Have a plan. Don't just wait for her to say she likes you. You got to step out there. Be intentional. Ain't nothing worse, hear me, than a passive man without a plan. All my women in here said, amen. Knew I'd get y'all to talk on that one. See, Boaz was intentional. He sits by the gate, and he waits. He has the Redeemer sit down. Not one, but ten elders come and witness. Boaz presents his proposal to the kinsman Redeemer so eloquently. You got to love it, y'all. It's almost as if he just baits the Redeemer in. He says it in a way that he can't say no to him. He Looks at verse, verse 3 and 4, and he says, well, well, well you, you're the one that redeemed the land. You want to redeem the land? And the, and the, and the guy's like, oh, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll redeem the land. And it's probably because it's easy to see that Ruth and Naomi are struggling, so they, they can't keep up this land. You know, Ruth has been picking up leftover grains from Boaz's field and other fields around, and here's this guy, the redeemer, next to kin, has done nothing. But yet, when he's offered the land, he's like, oh, yeah, I'll take the land. You going to give me some land? Oh, it's mine? Okay, yes. But then Boaz, you got to love him. He says, well, if you take the land, then you got to take Ruth the Moabite too. It's like he sets him up on this one. And the dude's like, wait a second, I'm good, I'm good. Who? Moabite? I'm good. I don't want her. You could take the lamb, redeem it for yourself. He rejects it, but yet, you know, when he, when, he, when he would have got the land by itself, he was good with it. But when he has to take Ruth, the Moabite, he's like, I don't want it. You know why? Because now it's going to mess with his own inheritance. 
It's going to mess with what he already has. If he has a child with Ruth, I'm going to have to split this with my enemy's tribe. I don't want anything about to do with that. Now, now, now here's, the part, here's the part. Don't watch, watch, watch this. Watch this. My man is obligated by the law of God to redeem Naomi. But he only wants to do it when it's convenient or for his own benefit. Let me ask you, family. Do you know anybody like this? Where they only do things, they only give, they only serve when it's convenient for them or for their own benefit. Maybe I'm actually in your own kitchen. Maybe y'all like, that's, that's me, Pastor D, if I'm honest. And, and I'm going to be honest, it probably has been some of us and most of us in this season. I'm going I'm to be real, like, um, during this season, Amazon's been my f- best friend. You know, like, oh, I could get that. Oh, it's only $2. Cool, I'll buy that. Prime, too? Oh, yeah, that's mine. You know, it's, it's literally, like, I, I don't have to go out of my way. I can get whatever I want for myself. You talking about, I got to go to the store. No, I don't want to go. I, you want me to buy this? No, I can't do this. Or I, I got to go do this for you. Can't I just send you Uber Eats? Can't, I, I got to come to your house. It's all of these things. that This season that we've been in, it's like, oh, it's just, if, if it's not convenient or for my own benefit or, or if, I, if I don't gain something out of it, I, I don't want to do it. I don't want to give of anything I have, whether it be my money or, or whether it be my time. What am I getting? Nope, I'm not doing it. And that's the opposite of what Boaz does. I, I remember... And I've, I've told some of you all this before. My, my mentor, Brian LaRitz, you guys know him. He's, he's preached here just recently. And uh, he was with his father one day, and they were walking down the street. And he's a kid at the time, and he sees, uh, they see a homeless man sitting on the side of the street. And his father, as Brian's walking with him, he just kneels down on the ground, and he, he starts praying over this man profusely, and he empties out his pockets, and he gives the, the man all of the money he has in his pockets. And Brian's watching the whole time. And then shortly after, when he's done, Crawford Loritz runs, and he, he, he just kneels down in front of his son now, and he says, Brian, you see that man over there? That's somebody's son. Don't you ever forget it. You see, in that moment, Crawford, Dr. Loritz, is overwhelmed with compassion towards this man and it forces him to move, to move out of his comfort zone, something that is inconvenient to him, and says, I'm going to give whatever I have to you. He couldn't help but to love him, which causes us to question, do we care for the less fortunate? If we can't care for the least of the people or the less fortunate, then how do we truly call ourselves believers in Jesus Christ? When you look at the scriptures, specifically the Gospels, and you see Jesus' ministry, the majority of his ministry was to the less fortunate. But yet, you're a believer, and we don't do the same thing. How can we call ourselves believers in Jesus? There's over 2,300 verses in the Bible that speak towards his ministry, or ministry towards the widow, the alien, and the poor. So I'm going to say something. I'm going to say something, and I may step into your neighborhood a little bit. I ain't trying to be political here or anything like that. But I'm pretty confident that God is not pleased with how we as a country have treated immigrants here. I'm pretty confident he's not pleased 
with how we've treated the less fortunate. And if he's not pleased with it, then believers shouldn't be okay with it either. I got one clap. Maybe I stepped on some toes. But the reality is, is that, that, that our hearts should be aching for the less fortunate. For immigrants, when we see things on news and all these things that are happening, that is an image bearer. How do we call ourselves believers if we don't do as Jesus did and care? Even if it's just praying. See, the problem is, as I hit it on, hit on it earlier, we live in a world that's where everything has been set up to be convenient to us. Our society is individualized, and more than ever right now in the season we're in, in this pandemic, all this social media, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and, and, and TikToks and all these other big box and all this, uh, you, know, you know, bumbles and all that. I'm sorry if y'all using that. It's okay. You know, but it's all these things. We even got VR now. Y'all, I saw a church that has VR where, y'all know what that is, virtual reality. You, you literally put on the goggles and act like you're in the church service. And I'm like, man, like we've gotten to that place. Everything's set up for us to just walk in and it's, just, it's, it's whatever you want. It's only convenient for us. And hear me, hear me again. Some of these things have really uh, great parts of them. I'm not knocking all the social media and things like that. It, it's okay. There's, there's good parts of it. Some of it's just fun too. Some of, many of you have gotten married through the so, uh, Man, I'm with it. Cool. But the reality is if we don't watch it, we can easily go down this, this, this spiral of becoming self-absorbed just like this redeemer here in our text. Every post on your Instagram page is a selfie. You in the mirror. I'm like, anybody trying to see you in the mirror? You, you know what you look like. The mirror just showed you. It's... For real. If we don't watch it, we become just like the Redeemer here in this text. And if I'm honest, or if we're honest, many of us are there right now. We've been isolated. Been in a pandemic where it's just been about me, oh me, and me. To the point where as things are surging right now, the fight that's going on or the battle that's going on in your own heart right now is, I don't want to wear this mask. While on the other side, people are dying. Death mask. I, I don't get it. It's an issue here. One's more about myself. One is caring for other people. That's where we've been in this season. That's the man in the text right here. He's supposed to be a redeemer, but he literally only redeems when it's good for him. After he refuses here in the text, in verse 6, the text says he takes off his sandal and he gives it to Boaz in verse 7. 
Now, the act of removing one's sandal in Deuteronomy 25 was done when the next of kin refused to take his brother's wife. This was a disgraceful and very disrespectful act. I mean, Naomi literally could have just got a whole loogie ready and just spit on him. This is disrespectful. You don't want me? He takes off his sandals and you can have them, Boaz. You can have them. Again, let me remind you, he's legally obligated to do this, which is why the transaction has to happen right now in front of the elders of the land. Ruth and Naomi were not worth it to him, but Boaz, on the other hand, goes out of his way to redeem Ruth and Naomi with the plan. He's a man among men. He's not legally obligated to do this at all after the other guy says, I don't want him, but instead he continues to move forward. Hear me. Boaz didn't have to feed them for the last several months. He didn't have to go to the gate. He did not have to confront or present this proposition to this uh, kinsman redeemer. He could have just let the redeemer take the land without telling them any more about the situation. But he doesn't stop there. He tells them about Ruth and Naomi. Friends, in case you're missing what I'm trying to get at, Boaz has an overwhelming compassion and love for Naomi that cannot be denied. He goes out of his way and he looks out for someone who he can gain nothing from in return that he can't get elsewhere, which leads to the second point. Redemption is always at the expense of the redeemer and not the redeemed. This means it had a cost. It wasn't free. Boaz, unlike the other man, he already knows that by buying this land, I'm going to bring this Moabite woman into my house, and Naomi's going to become my, my mother-in-law. Both women, Henry, can gain from Boaz, but he can't get, again, anything from them that he can't get elsewhere. He was a true redeemer who did not waste time in, in redeeming Ruth and Naomi. The legal transaction that was once and for all deal where he brings them into his household. He publicly, follow me, redeems Ruth and Naomi, making Ruth his wife. Watch this. They were once downcast. They were once unwanted by anyone, even their next to kin. These two widows here were worth nothing to others, but Boaz saw worth in them that nobody else did. Hear me, friends. Ruth was not at all impressive. She wasn't important. She wasn't looked up to by anyone else. I would imagine them being down and out. She had rags on. Ruth had to cling, which is her name's meaning. She clung to the worthy man of Boaz because he was her only hope for a better life. And friends, here's what I'm really trying to get at this morning. As I told you in the beginning, Boaz is just a type of redeemer that points to the real Christ. Hear me. We, just like Ruth, were once unworthy. We were once downcast, dead in our sin, unimpressive, with nothing to offer. But there was a man named Jesus who steps out of heaven, born in the likeness of man, 
Doesn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but yet dies for you and I. In fact, let me read the scripture. Philippians 2, 6, 8 says, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Listen to the words. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death, on a cross. Philippians tells us that when we believe, place our faith in Jesus, we have a redeemer who, noticing our situation where we couldn't get out of it, being dead in our sin, he leaves his place on high when he did not have to. See, God could have just wiped us all out, said, I'm done with you all, declared us unworthy, but we have a savior in Jesus who had compassion upon us and came on down. It says he doesn't count equality or didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And I'm not sure, I'm going to be honest, if I could have done that. I probably would have been like, you know, we can wipe them all out, God. You know, and they did, they, 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 they're unworthy. They rebelled against us. Or maybe the angels go do something. But yet, I'm glad we have a Savior who did not do that. Instead, he was mindful of you and I, as Philippians 2 tells us, that he emptied himself. By not only becoming human, but in the form of a servant or a slave. See, Jesus, do not miss this, came to serve sinful human beings who were enemies of God, just like the Moabites here in our text with the Israelites. He served the people who had nothing to offer, and he also hung out with them. Y'all, he hung out with the lowest of the lowest, tax collectors. His disciples were tax collectors and fishermen, people that folks didn't hang out with. God came down, wraps himself in flesh, born like us, and he comes around and has relationships with us. He got to know us. He got to know our struggles, our temptations, and suffer just like we do without sin. Y'all, he became woven into society like a nice piece of thread within a beautiful tapestry. Anybody here so? You ever looked at a tapestry before and how... At a very well done piece of tapestry, all the, uh, the different threads that make up this beautiful tapestry, you can't even figure out how they're flowing together up and over one another in between. And they form this beautiful tapestry. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Jesus had to become like one of those hidden pieces of thread within the tapestry of us humans. He had, he had to become like one of those pieces of thread to know what it's like for us to live here on this earth Jesus became like us and he sympathized with our sufferings. But Philippians 2 says that he does not stop there, y'all. He counts the cost of redemption and he hangs on a cross for our wrongdoings and our sin. He suffered death on a cross, not for his good, but for our good, for those that he loved. Someone had to take the wrath of God on the cross, and he did it. He paid our sin debt when he died on that hill called Calvary, hanging on that cross. Y'all, Jesus was the only one that could do it because he's the only unblemished lamb who was sent to take away the sins of the world. He willingly gets rejected by God. He becomes an enemy. At his own expense. Again, like I said before, redemption comes at the cost of the redeemer and not the redeemed. This was a once and all 
once and for all transaction. He died for the past, the present, and the future sins of his people. Romans 5.1 says that, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We, have, we are no longer enemies of God when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, but we're justified or declared legally right in God's sight solely because of Christ's death. Now, this should leave us in a state of awe and thankfulness this morning. Because just like Ruth here in our text, by faith, we have been redeemed by someone in the words of John the Baptist. We're not even worthy of picking up his sandal. Friends, this is why we get so excited during this time of year. This is why Advent means so much. This arrival of this coming of Jesus. But because he, just, he didn't just come as a baby, but he came and he grew as a man and he suffered just like us. And then he died for us. That's what's, what makes Christmas so special. Keep on believing, I say. Keep on believing. But I know, I know, there, there, there's something else here. And I love this because I know someone's sitting there saying, well, I mean, that's, that's good. I, I, I get how Ruth is redeemed, but, I, you know, Ruth was this good woman. She was faithful. She, she, she left all that she knew, and she went and hung out with Naomi. She's, she's going to be with her. And, and then Boaz, I, I see him as a redeemer, and he's a good dude in society. But, but I'm going to be real, Pastor D. I, I'm not like either one of them. Someone, someone's sitting in this space and saying, I, I've messed up more than once. I've, been, I've cheated. I've lied. I've been selfish more than ever, especially during this pandemic. I'm not one of those roots of society. That's not me. When you look at my track record, there's no way that God would want someone like me. And I love that God doesn't just save the roots of society because here's the reality. Many of us don't know the history behind this, and we don't know who Boaz's mother is. Let me, let me educate you a little bit. Boaz's mother was Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. Prostitute meaning she, she, she sold her body to men for sex. She, she's a prostitute. But you know what? When you get to Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, whose name is in the genealogy of Jesus? Rahab. And I come to tell you, if God can save a prostitute, Rahab, and put her in the line of Jesus, then he can save you and work in your life also. Keep on believing. But I know that's not enough either. Here's another fun fact. The Moabites and their descendants of Lot, Abraham's nephew. But here's what you don't know. Genesis chapter 19. Lot's daughters, they get their father drunk, and then they sleep with him. Out comes Moab, the father of the Moabites, and Ben-Ami, who is the father of the Ammonites, two of Israel's worst enemies. But here's Ruth, just in case you missed it, a descendant of the Moabites, basically from a daughter who rapes her father, takes advantage of him, gets saved. And guess what? 
Whose name is mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus? Ruth. Hear me. If God can save someone out of the mess of that situation, then hear me. He can step on into your situation and save you out of your mess and keep working in your life. Y'all keep on believing. Keep on believing. Redemption doesn't just declare us right and save us, but redemption gives us a new hope and a new future. As the man comes forward, hear me. Ruth was a woman who came from an enemy tribe. She loses everything, Mike. And she's redeemed by Boaz. And she gains everything. She goes on to marry him, as the text would tell us. And she becomes pregnant. A woman that was barren for 10 years. And through her line will be the line of King David which leads to Jesus. Friends, do you see what happens through redemption? Hear me. As we look through the coming of Jesus this Advent, won't you look forward with me in expectation and hope because the same God that saved back then in Ruth and Naomi's situation is the same God that's still saving and working today. So keep on believing, family. And for some of us in here, hear me, start believing today. And I'm not sure who you are. The reality is, is that some of us may have walked in here in a situation just like Ruth, that seems bleak, that seems so out of whack. And you're, you're like, I don't, I'm trying to be faithful, but, but I, don't, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I don't know what to do. I want to tell you, just keep on believing. Hold on. Some of you, it's it's to start believing. Saying, Jesus, I'm here. I'm done trying to do it my own way. I need you. Friends, I'm going to say it again. That, that, That same God worked on Ruth's behalf is still working today which means he's working on yours and your behalf too keep on believing my friends let's keep believing together amen let's pray father thank you so much for this morning we thank you for your scripture and your word that rings true in every season. That we don't deserve your goodness sometimes, God. And, but yet you still choose to love us. God, I do ask for those that are struggling right now here. Trying to believe and trying to keep going forward whether it's a situation in life or it's uh, just the pandemic is getting the best of them, the up and down of emotions. God, on today, would you just encourage them, affirm their hearts to just say you're there. As your central promise says, you're here, you're our God, and we're your people. 
but also ask that you move in the heart of the one that, that's in here and saying, I came in here saying, I don't know if I believe and I want to believe. God, I, I pray that you would help their unbelief to see you as true, see you as a God that loves, God that hears, God that cares, God that saves, God that stays with them from day one on throughout eternity. so that you increase in our lives and remember your goodness which allows us to lead lives that bring glory to you we thank you Lord it's in your name we pray all these things and everyone said together amen Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.